This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of this wonderful show. I've decided it's wonderful. That's right. It's Star Trek, the pod director, the official Star Trek podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tony Newsom. I am the other of your hosts, Paul F. Tompkins, and I co-sign this show is wonderful. Thank you. If we didn't like it, what, what hope is there? <laughs> Good point. It starts with us. <laughs> exactly. And it ends with us, because if it's bad, it's our fault. Also, we come back at the end. So That's true. <laughs> in many ways, it starts and ends with us. Well, this episode is a little different. The structure is a little different. We don't just come back at the end. We're, we're here the whole time. What's happening? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just trying to set up that this one's a little different. Get off my back, Paul. You got a better way to do it? Uh, look, I got on your back because you promised, you, you promised me you would take me across the river. <laughs> and you swore that you wouldn't sting me. You have to learn to swim one of these days, Paul. Wait, I made myself both the frog and the scorpion in that analogy. I apologize. I apologize to all frogs and scorpions. And we apologize to you because we are neither frogs nor scorpions, and neither <laughs> is our guest, queen of the Segway. That's Perfect right. segue. Our guest today, we are so excited. This is such a special, different style episode because we are here with a person who is largely responsible for so much of what I love about Star Trek. We are here with our friend and boss. Is that a weird way to say? <laughs> Alex Kurtzman. You know him. He's a film and television writer, producer, director. He is best known for co-producing the Star Trek franchise since 2009, co-writing the scripts to Transformers in 2007, Star Trek 2009, Star Trek Into Darkness, my favorite one, and the amazing uh, Spider-Man in 2014 with his writing and producing partner, Robert Orsi. In 2018, Kurtzman signed a new five-year deal with CBS Television Studios to oversee and expand the Star Trek franchise on television, including serving as executive producer on Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Short Treks, Star Trek Picard, and Star Trek Lower Deck, Star Trek, Star Trek. Hi, Alex. Welcome. <laughs> hey, guys. How you doing? <laughs> really good. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us um, from far away. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm jealous of Paul's chair. It looks super comfy. Honestly, this chair was a, a pre-pandemic purchase that I thought, oh, I've made a mistake. This chair's <laughs> dimensions are way too big uh, for this tiny room that I'm in. But then all it took was a global pandemic for this chair to become MVP for me. Your best friend, yes. yes. And your shining pillow, Absolutely. which I'm very, very <laughs> impressed by. <Thank> So, Alex, you, you've overseen so many different huge properties, uh, including Star Trek films. But when it came to doing the expanding the universe via via TV, did that feel like a different a different weight? Did that did that have like a, a, a denser weight to it than, uh, you know, like doing a movie here or there? It was different in that I think there was a different kind of expectation on a series that it, I, you know, obviously Star Trek's roots are in television. 
So going back to the first television show that I think had been about 12 years since, since the last one uh, was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And there was obviously a tremendous amount of expectation on what it was going to be. And um, so it was, it was nerve wracking. But I think because I had had the experience of doing the 2009 Star Trek and starting over when, again, there was a lot of expectation, it primed me in some way uh, to be ready to do it. Yeah. Um, but the truth is it's always nerve wracking. And it should always be nerve-wracking <laughs> because it's it's just a big responsibility and, and there's a, it, it involves a great armies of people who have to move in many, many directions at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's been unbelievably joyful and fulfilling in ways that, honestly, I, um, I could never have predicted at the outset. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Did you expect it to be like this? Has it been surprising no. for you? <laughs> no, no. It, it's, it's been amazingly surprising for me. First of all, I don't know how... I don't know how it's me. I don't know how I became the person who's doing this. Like that was that was not that was not at all what I had imagined. But when we made Discovery, Discovery was really just let's just make a great Star Trek television television show and, and hopefully not mess it up. It was not hey let's build an entire Star Trek universe. Mm. And it it was right after the show and the way that the show was well received, and I spent a lot of time talking or just observing that it felt like. Star Trek was this, is this amazing property that's existed for over 55 years, but people didn't quite know what to do with it. Mm. And it sort of fell into my lap at two different pivot points. But in the second pivot point, which was the discovery pivot point, I was seeing that the world was beginning to change in ways that were making Star Trek even more relevant and more important. More important being the more significant word of those two things. And it seemed like, wow, there's this incredible opportunity to build this thing out because people respond to it so deeply and have for so long that I don't think you guys are actually taking it full advantage of, of the kinds of stories that we can tell. Mm-hmm. Thus, a bunch of other shows were, were born over the course of three and a half years. But yeah, no, I did not set, it was definitely not part of the plan with Discovery. That's so cool. Um, what was your first contact with Star Trek? My first contact with Trek was, um, I had a friend in elementary school named David Pang and his dad was, he worked at JPL. Wow. And so when I would go over to his house, his family would watch Star Trek. And I remember, and I don't think I understood at the time, but now I understand that people who actually invent things that go into space really love Star Trek. Yeah. Right? And so, so like, the people who actually do that work are massively inspired by Trek. And that was my first sort of subliminal, you know, connection to it. And then the second is Wrath of Khan, which I saw when I was little in the theater and, you know, Everybody talks about the earwig, which, you know, the SETI eel, which is um, <laughs> obviously Paul and Amy talked about it a lot. But, um, you know, that's that's just if you're a child like that will brand itself on your brain, 100%. you know, yeah. literally and figuratively. Yeah. And it was so emotional. Mm-hmm. And that was not something that I think I understood Star Trek to be conceptually at the time. And yet now I understand, of course, it was and it was so for so many people. But I did not grow up when Star Trek was originally on the air. Right. When I was watching it, it was in reruns. And I just, I was blown away. And then I was also blown away by the fact that, you know, my, my reference for villains at that point was Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And then here comes Khan, who is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there's like a new gold standard in bad guys here. So that was a real, <laughs> that was a real shift for me. Sure. Yeah. I, it, it's surprising to me, not surprising, but it is great how scientific Trek is. And it would seem so yeah. cerebral and left brain. But what that is, is this incredible Trojan horse for these beautiful, heartfelt totally. human stories. 
And Absolutely. I think that's why, I mean, that's why I got like a million more like engineer scientist followers on Twitter when <laughs> Lower Decks premiered. And I was like, <laughs> oh, cool. All these like people who work at NASA and JPL, they love Trek. That makes so much sense. Totally, totally. And you're out there living their fantasy, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and, and and it's an amazing thing. Yeah. It's interesting how the, in the world of Trek specifically, like the, the scientist is valued uh, mm -hmm. in a way that it's not in a lot of other yeah. sci-fi even um, where it's like, we're all scientists on this, on this floating ship and we're <laughs> trying to learn things, you know, we're trying to build things, learn things. Um, I could see why it, that people that, uh, that do that in real life are, are drawn to it. It's like, Oh, I'm the hero now for a change. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, it really is singularly defines Trek is that science is the solution to the problem. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's it's always it's always the combination of science and humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, taking a humane approach and, and understanding where the intersection is between those two things, and then on top of which, the bridge crew, who everybody sort of associates with as a family, has to work together using their different not you know all their different skill sets mm -hmm. to solve a problem with both science and empathy. And that's I think that's Star Trek. Absolutely. So. Short Treks brought the first minisodes into the Trek universe. And Lower yes. Decks is arguably the first out-and-out, -out, intentional, all-the-time sure. comedy. <laughs> I like to yeah. say intentional comedy because there's plenty of comedy episodes that maybe didn't think they were at the time. <laughs> um, so those are like definite innovations to the brand. Um, what, what brought about the decision to go in those directions? And are there more uh, innovations like that coming? I certainly want to say that I hope there's more innovations like that coming. I, it's funny, challenges usually present themselves uh, as opportunities to to build new things, right? So we finished season one of Discovery, which I, I don't know how I'm, you may or may not remember, but they had originally announced a date for the drop of Discovery that was like, oh, it'll be like any other television show to make and we'll just drop it on this date. And we were like, guys, I don't think it's going to be that simple. And then when we vastly, vastly didn't meet that date, like well in advance, we said, <laughs> we don't want to make that mistake twice. Mm -hmm. Guys, We you, you should give us the time to to prep the shows and visual effect. I mean, you, you have to understand it takes eight months, let's say, to write and prep, eight months to a year to write and prep and build the stages. Yeah. Then it takes another eight months to shoot it. And then it takes another eight months to a year to post it. Wow. So announcing like, oh yeah, it'll be just like, you know, uh, every, every uh, you know, every six months, there'll be a new try. It's not possible. It's literally <laughs> not possible. You have, you have to plan two years out. So yeah. When I said to them, we're not going to be able to deliver you the second season the way you, in the timeline you want, they said, well, what can you do? I said, well, why don't we, why don't we use our sets and try something new and do short treks? And they ended up being so delightful because there were these, you know, wonderful little O. Henry stories. And mm -hmm. it, as, a, as a writer, it, it gave us an opportunity to say, how much story can you tell in an incredibly short period of time, yeah. right? How do you do a beginning, middle, and end in somewhere between... I think the shortest one is something like five and a half minutes to 14 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And what a great opportunity. But the other great opportunity is we get to try out new directors and we get to try out new writers and not necessarily people who, who had even directed before. So it, was, it became this wonderful incubation sort of place for new talent, yeah. um, which, was, which was great. And also, I think that in the same way that, you know, this is a weird analogy, but what do people remember most about the first Avengers? Like, or why do you watch that? Well, yeah, there's a lot of great special effects, but they, what you remember is them eating shawarma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. what you remember. You remember those scenes where it's like, oh, they were like us. And like, they were just, 
And, and that's what the short tricks allowed us was all the scenes you don't have time for mm. in the episode proper. You actually get to tell that story now. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really, really wonderful. I think it was Matt Fraction, who's a, who's a comic book writer who uh, had done the Avengers for a while. And when, and his advice to whoever was taking over for him was uh, don't forget to have scenes of them making sandwiches in the kitchen because yeah. that stuff, it means so much. And what I think is, What's really cool about short treks and uh, uh, in addition to the the films, which are in addition to the series, is that you don't have to watch these ancillary things to to follow what's going on in the series. But right. if you do watch them, it gives such a such a depth to the characters right. and their world. And it's a really it's so rewarding. You know, it's so yeah. rewarding because you you just have in the films and in and in and then ironically in the short tracks, you have so much room to deal with emotion and character and you know yeah. what 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 people are thinking as opposed to we have this urgent thing that we have to do right now you know mm. which is which is most of the the hour longs you know so it's a really I, I'm it makes me excited to see what is going to be the next innovation in that way that will add to the world but still uh keep the 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 you know the just i just watched the, the show and that's it um viewer happy Musicals. um musicals yeah, absolutely. oh by the way i not, nothing honestly nothing would make me happier no, i've thought i've thought about this uh, and and if we ever did a short trek that would be the perfect yeah. format for it the thing is if you're going to do a musical it would have to be as brilliant as uh, Once More with Feeling from sure. uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm -hmm. right? Which, if you, if you remember that episode, yeah. like, it, you know, the demon. So it has to have a concept that makes a musical necessary. Mm -hmm. um, or you have to come up with a really, really good reason for people to start breaking out in song, yeah. right? And, <laughs> and, we and we have yet to really explore that. But mm -hmm. nothing would make me happier. Like, I would die to see that. Sure. I mean, <laughs> you keep casting musicians in all the shows, so it feels like in, like subconsciously <laughs> yeah. we can tell this is what you want and we are yeah. waiting in the wings and we're ready. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So with Lower Decks, I know that Mike, Mike has been on the show last season, Mike McMahon, and he talked about, um, you know, his plan to kind of, it sounds like what you what you mentioned with short treks is like the freedom to focus on the smaller stories, and that is what Mike does a lot with with lower decks. Is that it's the it's the chance to focus on the B story and to flip the traditional yes, totally. kind of TNG vibe and to focus on the Data and Joe Piscopo style story versus <laughs> the giant universe problem story. Um, was that your intention when you brought Mike on? Were you like, this is what I want to do, or did you kind of follow his lead? I followed his lead, and I will always follow his lead. Me too. Um, he, so I know he's the he's the greatest. He's just a massively brilliant, wonderful, like open heart of a human. So Aaron Byers, who works with me at Secret Hideout, was very close with Mike from their assistant days, and he knew about Mike's uh, TNG, you know, fake TNG season uh, Twitter book, mm -hmm. and he said you should meet with Mike because Mike has this idea for the show and. I was like, great, you know, and I'm always looking, f as you guys are saying, like, I'm always looking for what's a new version of it that doesn't feel like the thing you've seen already and yet is also entirely familiar, yeah. right? And he came in and, he, and I, I've, I've said this before, but he came in and pitched like, I want to do a show about the people who put the yellow cartridge into the replicator so the banana comes out the other. And I stopped and I was like, that, we're, that we're doing that show. Yeah. Like, that's for sure <laughs> happening. Like, that's the perfect, perfect show. But what was very clear and what Mike emphasized right out of the gate is that he did not want to punch down on Star Trek. Yeah. And Star Trek is very easy to punch down on and easy to sort of turn your nose uh, up at. And it was really, really clear that 
you know, Galaxy Quest, for example, which I, I think is probably the best Star Trek movie ever made, <laughs> um, it, it is brilliant because it both, it, it laughs with Star Trek, but it doesn't laugh at Star Trek. And ultimately, it's totally reverent of Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. And that, it was, that was incredible. It was clear that that's what Mike wanted to do. He, he was like, I live and breathe Star Trek. I love these people. And I want to write this relationship, you know, um, clearly he, he and Mariner and her mom. And it was, it was coming from a very honest, emotional place. Mm-hmm. I'm, not a com- I'm not a comedy person. You guys are comedy people. But it does seem to me like the comedy that works the best is the one that comes from some, some emotional reality. Yeah. yeah. And so the minute he left the office, I was like, I'm going to follow that guy anywhere. And to the extent that we've given him notes, it's really only to ask questions Mm. about what's the intention of this or that. It's never to be like, we don't like this or we think it should be a different show. It's always been and will always be the show Mike wants to make. Yeah, Yeah, that comes through when we record too. It definitely feels like Mike gets to do what he wants because he has such love for it and he's got such a deep well of knowledge of it, including all the folks in the writer's room. I was so, it's been so cool to meet some of the writers and be like, oh, you just absolutely love Star Trek and you're a comedian. So this is the best job you could have? Yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> I, I mean, like a dream job for yeah. any, I mean, just incredible. And, and he, he's such a nice person, right? Mm-hmm. So he creates an environment where everyone's happy and that's, yeah. that's the ball game right there. Yeah, absolutely. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! So you mentioned uh, the episode we did with Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson when we talked about Wrath of Khan. One of the yeah. things that they really, you know, that we kind of hammered home in that episode that they brought up is that Trek kind of doesn't get the love that it should award-wise. Like Wrath of Khan should have many, many, many awards. And when I found out that there are not actors that have won Emmys for role, I was like, but Patrick Stewart though? But Whoopi Goldberg though? But Gates McFat, no, no one? That's insane. Do you think it's because people think of science fiction as like something easy to do or something different? I do. I honestly do. I think that there's this very strange institutional bias um, about not just science fiction, but Star Trek in particular. And my guess would be that because it used to be perceived by the mainstream as camp, it never actually got past the perception that there's so much more going on in it than what people initially imagined who were not necessarily Trekkies or Trekkers or however you want to self-identify. And as a result, people don't see the enormous amounts of talent Mm -hmm. that come through the door and also it is hard to write Star Trek. Yeah. Right? The trick is to make it look easy, as is the trick with all of our jobs for anything. Yeah. It is unbelievably hard to write Star Trek because you have to be a drama writer. You have to be a science fiction writer. You have to be an action writer. You have to be a science writer. You have to be a comedy writer. You have to be, above and beyond everything, a writer of human beings. Mm -hmm. 
and human emotions. And that is really a tall order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, most people can maybe do one of those things sort of well. Mm-hmm. So, so I think there's a weird like bias against it. I, I also don't think that people understand the depth of talent when it comes to things like costumes, you know, mm-hmm. um, or visual effects. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would put our visual effects up against Marvel any day. That we, I mean, you know, eight months of render on visual effects is a big deal. Yeah. It takes a long time. I think people also somehow don't understand that the best science fiction isn't about the future. It's actually allegory that's about right now. Yeah. And some things slip through the cracks, like, like Handmaid's Tale, which you could argue is science fiction or not, right? It doesn't feel like science fiction now, but when it was written, you know, it certainly was, mm-hmm. gets a lot of Emmy love. Mm-hmm. But to me, there's really no difference between that and other, and other science fiction shows that have to do with commentary on who we are as a species, on the choices that we're making, on, on what our future is going to look like if we continue down certain roads. Um, and that's what science fiction does better than any genre. Yes. It's, that is the point of science fiction. Yes. <laughs> and somehow I think like the, there's a snootiness about that that um, is unfortunate, but I, I think it's also starting to change. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, my first job was on Hercules and Xena, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, at the time, people looked down their nose at that show and now we're at Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. It, it It's just time. Like time catches up with everything. Yeah. So I have to believe that People will, people will find it and see it in a in a different way. I hope so. I mean, I I think that genre stuff tends to be overlooked because I think people have a an idea that it's not quote unquote serious, and that <laughs> yeah. if you if you enjoy something too much, that it's not worthy of a trophy. Because right. you know, if you if something makes you feel bad, then that must be. <laughs> that must be the best right. it can get. Right. You know, totally. that's right. <laughs> yeah. We love a trauma porn for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 yeah and, and there's so much of it. And half the time you see that the trauma porn gets the awards and you're like, yeah. you know what? It was very dramatic, but was it great? No. I yeah, don't know. Exactly. I mean, like, you mentioned I Handmaid's so. Tale. I love Handmaid's Tale, but it's like, did we really just need a bunch of white women to teach people about slavery? Like yeah. we have, <laughs> right. we could learn right. about slavery though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well said. That's exactly right. I also love that, that people will always win Oscars for playing a famous person. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter how good the movie is. It's just like, Hey, you put on, you put some rubber on your face. Some makeup like how, yeah. how is that different than science fiction? Yeah. Right. I mean, speaking, that's, a, that's exactly right. Yeah. Speaking of the makeup, there have been a lot of great awards for our effects artists and, and yeah. makeup and things like that. Well-deserved. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you mentioned the effects. Um, I recently rewatched Star Trek 2009 and I was like, those effects are insane. That's 11 years old. What, do you, what year is it? 12 years old. Yeah. And it's still yeah, it's holds been up. a long time. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it those things hold up when the story is firing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When when you're just emotionally engaged and and frankly expectation for Star Trek was so low when we made that film that I think we just surprised people with something that was a true love letter to just how amazing Star Trek is and it yeah. and I think it also took people back and this was the very much the intention <laughs> and it was, you know, every once in a while you make something where you're like I, I did what I set out to do and it actually landed the way we set you know, that, that that almost never happens, but that yeah. was definitely one where it did. And I think one of the intentions that we had, and certainly JJ had as a director, was like, I want to make you feel what you felt when you were a kid, when you were sitting in the theater watching. Yeah. You know, not just these films, but films like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. When you take a thing like that, 
with any huge production that you're about to launch a movie, put a movie in theaters. Mm -hmm. There's of course, like the moment before it actually gets released and people are seeing it for the first time, there's like a sort of fingers crossed, you know, feeling, but how with, with rebooting, you know, a beloved story like that, did it feel, this is like the first question I asked, did it, did it feel like an extra little twinge of like, oh man, we could, we could have gotten this completely wrong. Yeah, we don't want oh, to yeah. it. <laughs> oh my God, yes, absolutely. But you know, there was a funny thing that that happened um, that I think gave us a tremendous amount of confidence, which, and, and I really have to say it was, it was, it was all about Leonard, all mm-hmm. about Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. And we knew when we came up with the story. And, and when I say we, there were a lot of people involved in that. It wasn't just me and Bob. It was JJ. It was Damon Lindelof. It was Brian Burke. And it, we were sort of this band of brothers who was trying to not screw it up. Yeah. And we, we all had extremely different relationships to Star Trek. You know, some of us diehards, I was not at the time, uh, others casual watchers and others actually very objectively, like I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, so I'm, but I'm curious because I see the potential, right? And that was kind of a weird, perfect Supreme Court of people because there were so many different uh, points of view on what it was. And yet we all wanted it to be the same one thing. Yeah. And when we came on the idea of, well, we, we actually need to flip, we need to create a new timeline so that, and that absolutely came out of, well, we know that, you know, Malcolm McDowell dropped a boulder on William Shatner and that seems lame. And so if we're going to start over, <laughs> like, we, we don't want to know that that's how it ends, right? So we have to change everybody's fate. And once you change everybody's fate, anything can happen. Yeah. yeah. And and you can't predict what's coming. And that led us to the destruction of Vulcan. And then we were like, if we do that, the, the only way that's going to work is if it's blessed by Leonard Nimoy, right? Mm-hmm. It's the only way. Mm-hmm. And we had this... You know, I will never forget. Leonard became somebody that we loved very dearly. And um, he ended up actually on our show Fringe afterwards. <laughs> but he came into the office and there was very, there were very little pleasantries, right? It was mm-hmm. like, hey, we're, hi, it's so nice to meet you. And he's like, and he kind of was like, what do you got? <laughs> and we, we, were, we were like, okay, we, we have to pitch for our lives here. And so we sat down and we, we pitched everything. And he was totally stone-faced. <laughs> and... We finished and we're like, okay, so what do you think? And he didn't say anything. And my first thought was, we've totally screwed it up. Right. Like, he's, 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 he's out. <laughs> you know, we just pitched him, oh, we're going to destroy your whole planet. And, <laughs> and then he said, you must understand this is very emotional for me. Mm-hmm. And I heard this thing in his voice. And in that moment, I was like, we got him. Yeah. Wow. And we got him because I think he understood. He came in as he should have incredibly skeptical. Who are these guys? What are they doing with Star Trek? Like, are they going to screw it up? What are they asking of me? I wrote a book called I Am Not Spock. (laughs) So if if I'm coming back, it better be for the greatest reason of all time. And I think what he saw was that we were genuine fans who just wanted to do right by it. And I think he saw his opportunity to help contribute to what has always been so amazing about Star Trek, which is the fans keep it alive again and again and again. Mm -hmm. Right? But but it it has to go through a process of rebirth you know, every, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years by whatever the next generation of storytellers is because Star Trek has always been this amazing reflection of the time that we live in. And the only way that that works is if people who are coming up behind and behind and behind keep telling new stories. And so that's sort of how I see it. Do you think that Star Trek will ever return to network television? And do you think that it should or shouldn't? 
it's so hard to answer that question because we now live in the streaming age where the yeah. expectation is significant in terms of scope. And as the line between movies and television seems to have evaporated, we could not produce these shows on a network budget. Mm-hmm. It just would be impossible. So you would have to come up, which doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means that the story has to be built in such a way where you wouldn't be going, oh, God, I feel like I'm not getting what I should. It, it, it has to be specifically best told on network television, right? Mm-hmm. The, in the same way that there are certain stories that are best told in two hours in a film yeah. and certain stories that are best told over you know seven to 12 years of serialized storytelling. And so it's just really what's at the emotional core and what's, what is the built-in longevity of a particular kind of story and where does it best fit? So I would never dismiss it but I would be very vigilant about making sure that it was necessary mm. on television yeah. and not just another show that we could do there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Because it's really, it's, it's really tough. Like, you know, when you look back at, let's say, TNG, they had to do, what, 26 episodes a season or something? Yeah, and it's is, like, like inconceivable. It's at this so point. much to ask. So it's so much. much to ask and to keep the, to, to keep the creativity <laughs> at a level that you want it to be at, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. And, and you add into it, all the the post production, the special effects, all that stuff uh, is it's such a tall order that the the streaming the streaming platforms now with shorter seasons allow for you know just more I think better storytelling that's more concise if you're if if that's what you're looking to do yeah. you know. That's probably why so many of those TNG episodes were like, okay, there's a spore that's going to get in Picard's head and he's going to be a different guy instead of hiring like yeah, 20 totally. more guest actors, no makeup. Yeah. It's just like, of a, course. it becomes like a bottle episode on the bridge with them yeah. all playing weird characters. <laughs> of course, even with, you know, eight to 10 episodes, you're still like, all right, how do we use our characters and not bring in new people? And, yeah. you know, yeah. unless it's totally necessary. I mean, it's just part of it. I, it's, I mean, honestly, my hat's off to anyone who wrote 26 episodes of, Ooh. you know, especially in that window of time where there were the, where there were three Star Trek shows on the air yeah. and all of them were at that length. You know, we talked before about people maybe not understanding sci-fi or, or having a thought about Star Trek that it's not for them. What would you pitch to those people? Like, what's your pitch for Star Trek for people who don't think it's for them? I would say that in this particular moment in time where everyone is is rethinking a lot of the assumptions that they made about the world and the systems that are in place in the world, Star Trek speaks to those in a, in a way that I think no other franchise does. And it's always been incredibly relevant, but it's, it's really relevant now. Yeah. Um, and we have such amazing storytellers telling these stories. But there's this misconception that it's just about you have to know techno babble, or I have to know 50 plus years of, start, you know, to, to be able to drop in. And the truth is that like the short tracks isn't what you were saying about the short tracks. If you have seen 50 plus years of television, then you're going to have one experience with these shows, right? It'll be informed by that. But if you've seen none of them, you should be able to drop into these shows and have a great time. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I think that the, the shows are, some of them are roller coaster rides. Some of them are more meditative. Some of them are hilarious. Some of them are... Um, interesting explorations of the state of humanity. And some of them are just about the pure joy of seeing the world through the eyes of children. In my mind, the thing that's beautiful about Star Trek and about where we are with it right now is I always use the crayon analogy where I say like our show or, or the universe rather wants to be different color crayons in the same box, right? The same box being it's identifiably a thing that you understand. There's a common thread between all of these things. But if all the shows are the same, we're failing. Right. right. Like that's why a show like Lower Decks can exist because you need a different flavor mm-hmm. in the mix. Right. And 
Lower Decks gets to occupy its own really special space that no other show does. Yeah. And, you know, and I, what I, one of the things I loved most about seeing what happened with over Lower Decks is that, of course, fans are like, wait a minute, straight up comedy. Like, sure. no, no, I, we, we don't. And by the end of the season one, they were like, oh, my God, this is made by people who love Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And these are actually really Star Trek episodes, but it's just a different take on it. And the fact that all of those different things can exist in the same universe is so exciting. And I would also say that if the craftsmanship on our shows, again, like all of these people who build these amazing worlds. Yeah. That's the same, you know, when you watch a show like Thrones or when you, you know, anything that's, I, I think what Marvel is doing right now is amazing. I love, I love the shows that they're making. Those are massive world builds that require huge swaths of, of people, great artists to come together and, and create a vision like that. And I think we have that too. And so my hope is that this sort of misnomer that Trek is only for people who know Trek, that the whole point is, yes, of course it's for those people, right? Those people first and foremost, but it's also for people who have never seen it mm-hmm. and don't know anything about it. Because if we don't also get those people in, then 10 years, 20 years from now, we're not going to have new generations of Star Trek fans. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the beauty of, I think being able to create this universe is, is where Star Trek should be around. It's about such great things. It brings people so much joy yeah, and it makes you think about the world and about your place in the world and in your place in the future of our planet in a way that's so extraordinary that I would like to think that people around the world would want to support would want to support that because it just brings good to the planet. I agree. I've always felt that. And I love that it is the overall mission is about peace and exploration for Starfleet and for the Federation. Mm-hmm. So what a, what a beautiful thing to have at the core of a giant, you know, decade spanning franchise as opposed yeah. to it being conflict and, and war. Yeah. 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 We, we solve our problems with diplomacy and negotiation. Right. And, and war sometimes. But yeah, I think you you want to give, especially especially given the state of the world as it's been, no matter what side of the political line you're on, nobody can disagree with the fact that, you know, we are as close to a civil war as we've ever been since the civil war. Mm-hmm. And this show gives you a roadmap to the possibility and the potential of human beings and what we can accomplish if we stop mm-hmm. thinking the way we've been thinking. Because if we keep thinking this way, we're not going to be around. Yeah. And I think that's that's the beauty of Star Trek is it it actually gives you a positive for the future. Yeah. Agreed. Alex, is there anything that you haven't, any property that you haven't done yet that you would love to get your hands on? <laughs> God, that's a really interesting question. I mean, the truth is, like, I, I don't really, um, I don't think I select, like, going into property based on a, a, there has to be an emotional wellspring there for me. Like, right. something that I really, really go, oh, I see the potential in this and it usually it has something to do with it having affected me as a kid. Yeah. In some yeah, way. yeah. Yeah. Sure. But, but also I think be, like, look, here's the, here's the reality, whether we like it or not and the internet can complain about it as much as they want, but it's a, tr- <laughs> it's a truism, which is that the, all these companies now are, are much more inclined to create a reboot than they are to create something original. Sure. Yeah. Right. So if that's the case and that's what we as writers and creators are often faced with, then the, then the challenge now, you can either complain about it mm-hmm. or you can say, how do I reboot something so that it actually goes into new original territory? Yeah. Right. How does it, how does it serve the same function? Not, not how do I just repeat the old thing again, but how do I, how do I build it into something that's really special right. and feels like it's forging new ground? And I think that a lot of the, a lot of the franchises that have been successful, they'd have actually been doing that. Yeah. You know, they've taken things that are wildly familiar and they sort of twist it in a way. And so, and I, and I do think that in a funny way, that is one of the special sauces 
to the success of Star Trek is that you have to provide something that's totally familiar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and something that's totally unexpected at the same time. Yeah, to build excitement. So, so that that's not really an answer to your question. No, absolutely, I don't, I don't it is. Know. Sure, it is. Yeah, I like that. On a, on a somewhat related topic, do you think eventually everyone will have played Batman? <laughs> um, well, are you are you going to play Batman? Ooh. I mean, I have no plans to, but uh, the way things are going, I feel like everyone will get a turn eventually. <laughs> right, you're just going to take your ticket and wait in line. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> By the way, here's the thing: I want to see your, I want to see you in Batman. <laughs> I will, I will, I definitely, I'm so paying for that. I want to see you. In that's Batman by the way, well. that's what they should do now. They should just scrap whatever plans they have. Yeah, get Paul yeah. campaign for Paul. Paul to play Batman. Absolutely, that's what this pod yes. was for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the first Batman who's not in shape. We've finally broken that <laughs> that glass ceiling. You don't need to be in shape. Who says Batman has to be in shape? Exactly. exactly. That, that's, that's bullshit. No, you have gadgets. <laughs> you have Gad- gadgets. Totally. Why does he have the gadgets, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the gadgets can do the job. He doesn't even have to move. Yes. He, can the, he can sit in a big Stay in chair. The car. <laughs> totally. Yes. A nice big chair. <laughs> um, I have one last question for Alex. I'm sure you've been yeah. asked this a lot. What what would your job be in Starfleet? Oh my god! What? Oh my god! Are you on the bridge? <laughs> maybe you're not in Starfleet. Maybe you're on. I don't know that. I, maybe I'm not, I, don't, I don't know that I'm competent enough to be on the. I'm not sure I would want that. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't mind Guinan's job. Yeah. I could probably be pretty good at that. That's you know? I identify with that too. Like yeah. listen to people talk all day long. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Like into what was really going on with them occasionally. Yep. Yeah. No, I I I think I'd be probably better at that. Although I, you know. I only know how to make two drinks, so okay. that's not really. Is one of them the disappearing one? Uh, n- well, uh, no. I would love to. that. Would be really cool. No. Okay, I would be a guy in two. I say it's because I'm not good with authority, so I don't think I could be in any sort of <laughs> Starfleet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to us about all things Trek. Um, we really appreciate you, you guys. giving us your time today. Oh, thanks, guys. You're the Absolutely. best. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. LLAP. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.